What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode five of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where I sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it really is an honor to be on the spiritual leadership journey with you. This journey in leadership for me began a long time ago, but this journey in spiritual leadership is pretty fresh and pretty new. Back in 2013, I was able to go to a three-day conference put on by the Henry Blackaby Association down in Jonesboro, Georgia, and they introduced this concept of spiritual leadership. You know, I'd really never thought about it before, but it was different. And I remember picking up their book, and it is a classic, Spiritual Leadership by Henry and Richard Blackaby. And as I read those pages, it brought all the years that I know I've been in leadership positions beginning back in 1991 when I took my very first job in student ministry to today. And it really helped bring it all together. And it helped all of it make sense because I think in the middle of all this, we not only want to be great leaders, we want to be great leaders that make a difference for something beyond today. And that really is what spiritual leadership is all about. I know in their book, they define spiritual leadership is not moving people onto your agenda, but moving people onto God's agenda. You know, and as I look back at our first four episodes, I think that's true of all the people we've interviewed. Jason Romano, his time at ESPN to today, and now his passion to see people be all that they were created to be. And he looks in the athletic world through his Sports Spectrum podcast and magazine, telling us the stories of these great athletes and doing an amazing job. To Coach Dooley, Coach Dooley spent his time on the sidelines, not only winning games, but he also lived and served for a much bigger purpose and is, and is continuing to do that today. Even in his retirement, he hasn't stopped being the man that God created him to be and serving others. He's unbelievable. And then Shannon Bream in episode three. Shannon is in the middle of her career. In fact, she was just uh, given a new time slot there at Fox News with her own show at 11 p.m. every night on Fox News. And Shannon is doing such a great job using the medium of news. But behind it all is her passion to serve her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And man, that is a compelling thing in the world that we live in. And then episode four, we were able to talk to Tim Elmore. You know, Tim, I remember meeting Tim years and years and years ago, and you could just see that he was going to be somebody that was going to do something great. And man, has he with his organization, Growing Leaders, and how they're serving on college campuses. And they've really cracked the code on this generation and what it's going to take to reach this generation. If you haven't picked up his book, Marching Off the Map, do yourself a favor, push pause, go online, order the book. You will be glad that you did. I can promise you that. Well, that brings us to episode five. 
today we get the opportunity to sit down, pull up a chair, and talk to the great leader, Andy Stanley. I don't know if you can mention the word leadership without talking about Andy. And it's not just in the world of Christian ministry and pastoring like Andy does, but Andy has reached across the platform and he truly has become a leader of leaders. But behind all of that is an incredible man and an incredible man that knows the purpose that he was created for and really is living out that purpose. I promise you, you're going to want a pen or pencil, something to write with and take notes because Andy is going to deliver the goods today. So pull up a chair, listen in to my meeting with Andy Stanley. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today, buddy. It means a ton to have you. Hey, absolutely. And uh, I, again, just a privilege and love what you're doing. And we're doing a lot of the same things and we've known each other a long time. So it kind of makes sense that we would do this. Well, I think, you know, and everybody out there, Andy, I think from, from the faith perspective and in, in the church world that I sort of walk in every day, but even across the lines in the business world, I was sitting in a meeting last night and we were talking about podcasts and these are guys in, in different arenas of life and you're you have become much of the go-to guy have you always loved leadership and how did all that love for leadership get stirred up for you you know it's it's it really is a longer story than we have time to talk about today but the the, the short version is I never even thought about leadership I'd never heard a talk on leadership I never thought of leadership as a category I'd never read a book never read an article really nothing. The only thing I remembered about leadership from my childhood was my youth director, we called her, Mary Gillers, that told me and Louis Giglio when we were about ninth grade and we're cutting up and bothering everybody and wrecking everything. She said to us, you two boys are leaders and you need to use your leadership for something good. I mean, she just got right up in our face. And I remember thinking, I may have been 10th grade. I remember thinking, I don't want to be a leader. So that's my first recollection of the word, honestly. And the second one, didn't come along until I was sitting in the middle of the balcony at Willow Creek Church in probably 1990 or 91, and I heard Bill Hybels talk about leadership. I'd never heard anybody talk about it, and I thought, oh, my gosh. And, I mean, I I wanted to jump out of my skin. That was like a world opened up to me, and I just started reading and listening. And um, so that's, you know, I just didn't – I didn't grow up in a leadership culture. And, and Mike, we talked about this. One of the things that I wanted to do when we started our organization – was to create a leadership culture. And we can talk about what that is and what it isn't, but that's a big deal. And I think if leaders aren't intentional, you can have an organization that does all kinds of cool stuff. But to develop a leadership culture creates, you know, requires some intentionality. And the payoff is you end up, you know, surrounded by leaders. So that's that's the short version of the journey. It's not very glamorous. It was almost accidental. Which is funny because I think most people would look at you and men like you, Andy, and go, well, you probably saw yourself as that when you were young. So when your youth pastor said that to you, when uh, Ms. Gillerstadt said that to you back in 10th, 11th grade, whenever that was, how did you see yourself then when you were younger? I wanted to be Elton John. That's how I saw myself. <laughs> I I know why. I just, I loved music. I wanted to be a musician. I didn't want to lead anybody. I just, I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't do sports. I wasn't ever the captain of anything. I was not popular in school. 
you know, none of that. Hey, every time I turned around, there were kids following me like zero. Wow. But, um, yeah. And then, you know, when I was in college, I remember our youth pastor hired me as an intern and he said this, he said, Andy, he said, I have the position. He says, you have the influence. You need to use your influence and let me back you up with my position. I thought, wow. Well, there's another huge, huge lesson because, you know, leadership is influence and we always have influence before we have the position or generally, unless it, unless it's a family business, but that's another subject for another day. So, yep. um, you know, I, I think, and I think most leaders, that's a little bit of their story. You kind of stumble into it and you recognize, Oh yeah, I like this, but I'm telling you what lit me up. The first leadership book I read, it's called the leadership challenge came out there. I think mid eighties, early eighties. Um, it became like a Bible to me. I mean, I have two or three versions of that book now and, you know, it's, it, it, to me, it was just, maybe it's because it was the first book I read, but, um, again, that was just, you know, it was a journey since then. So. Well, and, and so you start growing in that, you begin to see that your, your, uh, your youth pastor looks at you, says that then you begin interning and they talk about using your influence. Then you've got a dad who is a trailblazer in the church world and is known worldwide was it hard to become your own leader and not compare yourself to your dad? Was that hard? Um, you know, in my experience, it wasn't. And I think for a couple of reasons, um, I never wanted to be a pastor of a church. So I wasn't trying to figure out how to do that as well or better than him. Um, when I, you know, my call to ministry was, we were driving down the road one day and I said, dad, do you have to be called or can you just volunteer? And he said, I think you can just volunteer. I said, well, I would like to volunteer to be in the ministry. <laughs> that, you know, so that was it. That's no lie. That's exactly what happened. You know, that was the big, the big moment. And when I went to seminary, I still didn't want to pastor anything necessarily. I just loved the church and then started doing student ministry. And the reason I say that I didn't feel the pressure too is when I started speaking, he never, ever, ever tried to put me in a box or correct me or get me to do it the way he did it. And he just, he just gave me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And he and I are so different just in terms of our personality. I'm a whole lot, way more like my mom than my dad. And so I think that made it easy too. And I was working with students and, um, you know, uh, he just, I, I think he made that as easy as possible. And I think, and, and you and I are the same way as we think about our kids and we want them to love the local church. You know, we want them to we don't want them to follow in our footsteps necessarily. We want them to do what God wants them to do. But, you know, the opportunity to create opportunities for them to discover what that is. I think that's our responsibility. And ultimately, I think that's every leader's story. I think when leaders tell their story, the story is about opportunity. An opportunity came along to get educated. An opportunity came along to get involved with this. An opportunity in five-year and 10-year plans, I don't know that there are many stories that revolve around that, but there are lots of stories that revolve around opportunities. So my dad gave me opportunities. I've tried to give my kids opportunities and the other leaders around me opportunities and the leaders rise to the surface and, you know, leverage those opportunities as they come. You know, and that, that, it says a lot about your dad. In fact, I watched the, uh, the video of you guys with Louie and man, what a great interview. And you can tell even in that interview, he, what he thought of you, man. And that, and, and I think every parent knowing that our kids can stand on our shoulders one day and do even greater things is, is, is yeah. an incredible thing. And that's, that's neat how he created that lane for you to be able to run in and find your own place and your own voice. And you did yeah, it. And he, 
Well, he, he has. And in his case, he took a lot of risk. He, he gave me opportunities where I could have totally sunk his ship, <laughs> but he, you know, he did it anyway. So I, I want to, I want to be that kind of leader that again, creates capacity and opportunities for other leaders. So when you, you, you deal in the leadership platform and your, your leadership podcast is probably one of the top five podcasts out there in, in the leadership realm that people go to, to find, you know, tips and, and to hear from different people from whether it's Home Depot to uh, an entertainment company and how they handle leadership. When you look at it, Andy, what do you think is the biggest difference between leadership and spiritual leadership? Would you, do you think there's a difference? And what would you say about that? Yeah, I do. And I don't use the phrase spiritual leadership as much, but you know, one of the current current trends in leadership actually has been around for a while. It's the whole idea of servant leadership and the invert, inverted pyramid and you know all those kinds of things. And I think the essence of spiritual leadership, just in general, not even in a Christian sense, but in a general sense, the spiritual leadership is really the leadership where the leader sees him or herself as the person who is in support of the people around them, that it really is, you know, I'm here to pave the way for other people to do what they do and do what they do best and to resource the people around me rather than being at, rather than being at the top of the org chart, you know, so to speak. I think that in, is the essence of spiritual leadership. And the reason I think that as a Christian specifically is one afternoon, you know, Jesus heard a couple of his guys arguing about who was going to sit on his left and right in the kingdom when he became the king and he turns around and stops the whole group, has them sit down under a tree, I think. I made that part up and says, okay, wait, before we get, before we go any further, we, we need to straighten this out. And we've already talked about this so many times and I've modeled this for you. But if you're going to be number one in my group, you have to be last. You need to get in the back of the line. And if you're not willing to get in the back of the line, then you need to go you know, join another group because this is not the top down. This isn't that kind of kingdom. This is not that kind of dynamic. So I think at its essence, spiritual leadership really is about that. Then as a Christian, you know, Jesus modeled it. The Apostle Paul reiterated it over and over and over and over. And, um, and, and the thing is, too, everybody listening to your podcast, the leaders that we all admire the most are that kind of leader. We, we just don't love arrogant, self-centered. It's all about me. You know, sell the company, take the cash and run, you know, built to sell kinds of leaders. I mean, they accomplish big things and do incredible things. But in terms of our personal admiration for them, you know, there's just not a lot of that. Well, the people we look up to are the people who somehow figured out how to put other people first. And so I think that's the essence of spiritual leadership, and especially as a Christian, because of, again, what Jesus taught and modeled. So is so a business guy driving downtown going to his job this morning or uh, a football coach heading out to practice, catching, catching this on his way out to practice in the afternoon. How does a person become that? Cause I think we're taught the other way. How do you become that spiritual leader or that servant leader you were talking about? What would you say to that? It's just one question. It's what can I do to help? What can I do to help? What can I do to help? That question does not get asked very much in the marketplace. I'm pretty sure. And I, I've introduced that question to some really interesting groups of people, and they kind of looked at me like, why would I ask that? Because if I ask what can I do to help, they might have something they want me to do to help, and then I'll have to do what they want me to do, and I won't have time to do what I want to do. But that, that's the nature of what we're talking about is what can I do to help, which means how can I leverage what I have? 
to help you do what you need to do? How can I leverage who I am to help you do what you need to do? How can I leverage my success in order to make you successful? What can I do to help? In other words, and, and that is a that question is a statement of submission. It's a statement that says, I'm going to place my my uh, reputation, my resources, my name under you in order to support you and what you're doing. And again, as a Christian, that is the essence of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave. Basically, he said, what can I do to help those folks need a savior? So I, I think that one question, if we just weave that into um, the, the, you know, the culture of our organizations, what can I do to help? How can I loan myself to you for your benefit? Um, and anybody can do that. A coach can do that. A manager can do that. Middle management can do that. An owner, a franchise operator, anybody can do that. And the people who are, I hate to use this terminology, the people who are under us or work for us, yeah. they do not expect that because they think they are there to help us, which in, of course they are. I mean, that's the nature of organizations. But when the person above them, the manager above them harnesses themselves for that person. I just think that's the essence of great leadership and certainly spiritual leadership. And I, and I think you're right on too. And, and I think for so many people, they expect it in the world you and I walk in, in the church world, but when they see it in the marketplace or in the, in the locker room or uh, in, in the, in the sales meeting, it really does catch people off guard and it, and it helps yeah. people make a mark really does. Yeah, really does. Yeah. So not only do we do it corporately and what we do, but you, we all have to balance doing it at home, you know, as a husband and a father. I know your kids are grown now and they're, they're off in college. One's out of college, two are out of college now. What have yep. you done to be that spiritual leader at home? What are some tips that you would have for folks of how you've been able to do that at home, Andy? Well, Sandra and I laugh kind of about this all the time because I get asked this question and we do, we both do. And we, I don't know that anything that we did is anything anyone should model. So I'm not, what I'm about to suggest is not, a, here's how to do it. I'm just going to tell you what we did. And then your, your, your audience can decide what they want to do. So we have, we did not have any kind of structured family devotional time, scripture reading, zero. We never did any of that. We always prayed with the kids. We put them to bed and and we prayed with them when they went to bed all the way through high school. We had what we called when the kids hit high school and, you know, they're busy and they're different schedules. And, you know, at some point Sandra and I are going to bed before they do. We had stair prayer, which was we invited everybody to the staircase. I have three kids. They're all 20 months apart. Two oldest are boys. Youngest is a girl. And we say, okay, you know, it's 830. Everybody stair prayer. Everybody just stops what they're doing. They sit on the stairs. So we would pray together just about every single night. And then the other thing that we think made all the difference in the world is we had dinner together at home almost every single night. We never, I mean, we almost never, ever went, went out. We never ordered out. And the point of dinner is not the food for a family. The point of dinner is the conversation for the family. And those, you know, four or five nights a week, three or four nights a week, even through high school of sitting down at the dinner table and talking about the day. And again, you know, looking at life through that, grid that we put out there for our kids in terms of, you know, our relationship with our heavenly father, that was it. And of course, you know, they had to see it in our lives as well. And we modeled that and hosted our small group in our home for years, really. So our kids could see us prioritizing our own development and our own spiritual development. So that's, that's what we did. And when I ask my kids about it now, you know, what made the biggest difference? 
they they kind of give this same answer that well this is what we saw this is what we did you didn't push it on us but we knew you lived it and you know family prayer time their prayer as we called it yeah i love that and i you know so many times i think people think it's it's got to be complicated and i think your picture is and i know one of your sons um and i think he's a great picture of the product that y'all produced man you know, it's not complicated and what you, what you laid out is spot on. And, uh, I hope, I hope everybody hears that because that daily thing is huge. Yeah. And if I would just add to this again, I don't, the reason I want to be careful is, you know, I don't, I didn't have to travel. I mean, there are men and women who are on the road a couple, three days a week that impacts that. So it's not a, Hey, if you don't do it this way, it's not going to work. But the point is, there's a every family has to find their rhythm and that and i would just say this to the men because i it sometimes especially for new um believers especially men we don't feel like we're smart enough to be the spiritual leader we feel like we need to know more about the bible or know more about christianity than our wives or our, our kids and that is absolutely not the case and the best way to understand that is just to think about leadership in general um Nobody who is the leader of an organization is necessarily the smartest person in the organization. Right. Nobody gets to be the leader because they're the smartest. There's, there are other reasons people get to be leaders. And being the smartest has nothing to do with being the spiritual leader. And knowing the most about spiritual things has nothing to do with being the spiritual leader. The leader is the person that steps out and initiates and follows through. That's it. You initiate, you follow through. You initiate, you follow through. So when the dad says, hey, you know, we're going to meet and we're going to all pray or we're going to we're going to be at have dinner three nights this week. Here are the three nights we're going to be there or when the mom who steps in. And again, that's that's who the leader is, it's the one that initiates and then follows through. So all of us can do that. And it really isn't knowledge based. But sometimes when it comes to, quote, spiritual leadership, you know, people freak out a bit. That's so good. That is so good. How would you encourage somebody that wants to have that kind of influence and grow as a leader, especially as a spiritual leader, what encouragement would you give somebody? Well, there's, um, there's science behind this. And then there is observation behind this. We become like the people we spend time with. We just do. There's our friends determine the direction and the quality of our lives. That's true for middle school, high school, and all the way through adulthood. We become like the group we run with, play with, and associate with. And so when men and women begin to run with, play with, associate themselves with other men and women who are doing this, it just becomes second nature. I mean if you hang out with people who you know, eat right, you start eating better. You hang out with people who exercise all the time, you start exercising, or you go find a different group. There, there's just an association factor, and I think, again, through local churches and some of the things that you do, and again, listening to podcasts like this, over time, we just pick up the habits and pick this stuff up. So I, I think it's really exposure as much as anything. You get to be around some of the world's greatest leaders, not only in the in the business world that you that you have influence in, a lot of your leaders that even go to North Point, but in the church world, you're, you're around great leaders are there common qualities that you've seen being up close and personal with a lot of these guys that, that separates them? Yes. And I think it goes back to what we just talked about. I think, you know, pretty quick, the difference between a what's in it for me and what's in it for us kind of leadership, the, the individuals who love the organization more than they love themselves, 
who love to develop people more than they love the, you know, the claim and the, the fame that comes with leadership. And that's not a spiritual versus non-spiritual, Christian versus non-Christian. There are all kinds of wacky Christian leaders, just like there are all kinds of wacky, selfish, secular leaders and politicians. So, you know, every every arena has examples of all of them. But again, the leaders that we find ourselves leaning into and wanting to know more and, you know, what else have you written and where can I get a copy of that? Those are the leaders that when you finish, you think, wow, that, that's somebody I would like to work for. Um, not just because of their product or their company. I would like to work for that person because there's something about them that I want to be. And I don't think you have to be around someone very long before you, you pick up on, you know, which direction they go. And, and again, um, we may envy what um, not so, uh, you know, we may envy what a leader has, even when we don't envy who the leader is, but we lean toward the leaders who are the kinds of people that we ultimately want to become. And, you know, when I think about all the leaders I've met and all the people I've met through the years, wow, there's, you know, you always tell stories in private. Hey, I met so-and-so. What was he like? What was she like? And you know what we talk about when people ask us those questions? You know the answer. We don't talk about what they've done. Everybody already knows what they've done. We talk about what kind of person they were. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's famous or he's done this, but he was a blank, you know, it's, or she was, you know, the closer you get, the better, the better she is. You know, I was expecting you know, him to be intimidating. He was so warm. He kept asking questions. He seemed more interested in me. So those are the takeaways when we're around people that we admire. And again, it comes down to character and, you know, what they're in it for. That is so good. That is so good. People look at you, Andy, and they go, man, I would love to be able to be that guy like Andy is. Uh, speak in front of big crowds, lead a great church, great organization, uh, have great wisdom tips. But I think we all get there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes for you to do what you do. What are, what are disciplines you have that people may not see publicly, but you say, I wouldn't be who I am today without these disciplines? It's uh, pretty easy for me to say no to things. I tend to naturally be pretty focused. I love our organization. I think you can always tell when a leader loves their organization, not just their job and not just the people they work with, but the organization. Um, that's a big, big deal to me. Um, our North Point Ministries, North Point Community Churches, all of our churches is it's not the priority because I've made it the priority. It is genuinely in my heart, you know, the priority of my life. So it's easy for me to prioritize around that one thing in terms of work world, in terms of habits that people may not know. I am a copious note taker. I mean, I take notes on everything. I can sit and listen to a terrible talk and take notes and get something out of it. In fact, many, many times I've been with some of our staff and after something's finished, they'll go, oh, that was a waste of time, or that was, you know, whatever. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> Look at all my notes. You know, like, what did you even, but I, there's something in me, if somebody's up talking, I just think there's something to learn. And so I'm a lifelong learner. I read like crazy. I never, ever watch television. I mean, never. If the news is on when I get home, I'll watch the news. I don't watch any shows. I can barely remember my password to Netflix, and usually I have to remember it for somebody else, not me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But my perspective on television is this. To sit down and watch television is to watch somebody else be successful at what they do. And I don't have time for that. 
I have things I need to go to to be successful. And and when I'm with even some of our staff and I listen to all the series and the shows they're watching, I'm like, who has time for that? I mean, the thing is, I don't even want to take time for that. So that's, you know, I'm not very dialed in culturally and oftentimes when it comes to names and um, current things, but I'm, you know, you can find that out. I mean, you can Google that. So I, I just, you know, those are some of the behind the scenes things. And I'm always interested in articles that give the three things Bill Gates always does, you know, the, the two things that, um, you know, some leaders suggest. And uh, oftentimes it's these kind of quirky little habits that they all have in common. And one of them is note taking. They're every, they all carry around something to write on or something to take notes on. And they're copious note takers because they're learners. And uh, that's how you stay ahead, and that's how you stay fresh, and that's how you keep people engaged is by being a lifelong learner. You know, I remember hearing Maxwell back in back in the day when he had all his Enjoy Life Club tapes and all that stuff. And I remember that was one of his big things is he had that notepad with him all the time, taking notes, yep. filing articles, having Linda Eggers following him around, taking notes of all the conversations. That's, that's interesting. Yep. That is very interesting. I think there's a lot well, there's- to- there's some, there's something to learn from everything and everybody everywhere, not just from good people or talented people or the people people have heard of. There's, I mean, there's, 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 you know, learning can happen anywhere. And, you know, I, that, I tell you what I love to, I love audible, um, Amazon's, uh, you know, audible, um, where you can listen to books. I, oh my gosh, I have spent more money and time, and taking more notes, and I'm constantly clipping things from Audible books and emailing them to my assistant to manage to transcribe for me. So that's a that's been a huge tool for me that has saved so much time. And I'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners use Audible or something do you, similar. Do you have a file you put those into a certain program like Evernote or anything you throw that into? I am not that organized. I I use Evernote, but I don't use it very well. I use email and Word. That's what I. That's what I use. <laughs> I'm kind of old school. I don't have a lot of paper, you know, around because I I can't write. I can't even read my own writing after about two hours. But um, but like you know, like most people, I have my system. I know how to find things, and you know, my phone is my best friend. And um, you know, I just have categories and categories of notes and pictures. Like everybody, you know, you take pictures of quotes. I'm constantly taking pictures of quotes out of books. Um. Just, you know, most books are not worth reading the whole book, but every book's got something good in it. So that, you know, that's just my, uh, my approach to all that. That's awesome. That is awesome. You know, I think, and, and I told a guy this the other day, and I'm not saying this because you're on the call, but I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You, I think every generation has a spokesperson for that generation and a person that, really captures the minds and hearts of that generation. I think definitely for ours, um, you have been that in the area of communication, the ability to communicate, the, um, you're somebody I can always listen to, always learn. You always have a different angle on things. How do you walk through? I think a lot of that's a gift. And I think a lot of it, you probably work at really hard. Your week to week preparation to speak at North Point. What does that look like for you? It's, it's dreadful. <laughs> um, seriously, about two, probably two years ago, my dad called me. He, he was 83. He'll be 85 next month. He called me. He's a pastor. He said, Andy, he said, um, 
I would like to sit down with a pastor who is a little bit ahead of me and ask them a few things. I said, what? He said, yeah, I'd like to sit down with a pastor. I said, dad, there aren't any pastors ahead of you. You're, you're it. You know, they're, they're all dead or retired. I mean, he's still the senior pastor of his church and leading his media ministry in touch. I said, well, dad, if you were to sit, if you were to find such a person, <laughs> what would you ask them? And here's what he said. I would, he said, I would ask them, does it ever get any easier? Mm. And he was talking specifically about message preparation uh, compared to Everything else I do compared to message preparation is easy. Leading the organization, meetings, making decisions, easy. All it is so easy. The message preparation thing is, you know, Mike. It is if you're going to do it right, and if you really yeah. care about people, and if you're not just about, you know, spouting off information and entertaining the crowd, it is an agonizing process that I wouldn't wish on anybody. And my dad's right. Up until this point, it's not gotten any easier. And I wish I had some magic template or some magic formula <laughs> and you know i wrote a book called communicating for a change yep. where i basically explained you know my approach to outlining communicating the yes communicating for change it's a book but in terms of the in terms of the process of getting to the point of organizing material that book's primarily about organizing material but the process of gathering material and figuring out you know what to leave in and what to leave out I think that – and I bet you're the same way. I'm sort of – I'm, I'm in constant preparation mode, and it's one of the things that is so so much wear and tear in what we do because just because I'm home or just because I'm driving home, you're, you're constantly thinking about it. You have to be if you're going to be good, and especially in the world we live in where everybody has access to all the information all the time. I mean nobody has to wait for Sunday. Nobody has to wait. For the pastor to talk about a certain topic, I mean, why? How we're even in business is it's amazing to me. Thank God for good music and you know and good children's programs. Why in the world does anybody come need to need, need to come sit in the chair and listen to us talk? And so to be current and to be relevant and to be inspirational in a world where there is nothing new under the sun. It's all been said, and you can find out who has said it and when. It is, it's an ongoing challenge, and I hate to discourage any of the communicators out there, but you know, so far it has not gotten easier. And my dad says, at 83, it's still not easy. That's hopeful. That that makes me feel better, Andy. I appreciate throwing that out there. Good <laughs> great. A, I I tell guys, men and women, our male and female communicators, I say, look, if this is really really hard, you're probably doing it right. That's right. You know, when it gets when it gets easy, and it's like, oh yeah, I just threw this thing together. Oh, it took me half the day. Like, mm, yeah, we would probably we'll probably be able to tell on Sunday that you put this together in half a day. But if you're going to engage smart, educated people, you know, with the scripture or with anything, um, it's you know, it's agonizing. And the other thing for me is I just don't like to be in a rut in terms of my communicating communication style. Mm. Um, in fact, it's kind of coincidence. After this, after I finish this uh, podcast, recording this podcast with you, I'm actually going down to one of our auditoriums to try something different, just to practice it. Um, I've been doing things the way I've been doing them with the screen and all that stuff for you know several years, and I'm honestly just kind of bored with that approach. So I'm like, what else can we do? Let's let's you know let's change this up a little bit. And I think that's part of it too, is you know recognizing when we're getting tired of our own rhythm, getting in our own rut. Nobody else may be complaining yet, 
but you know, every idea has a shelf life and every good idea has a shelf life and everything that was new and original and awesome. Eventually people look at it like, wow. Yeah. I remember the day when <laughs> I remember the day when that was something and now it's, you know, everybody's doing it. So, you know, I think that's another thing that really, that motivates me is, you know, watching, seeing what other people are doing and figuring out how to take good ideas and improve on them or innovate. Do you watch a lot of guys in that regard to see style things they're doing? Is that something you find yourself doing? I used to, and now we have, because we, to keep up with what our communicators are doing, because I like to watch all their stuff and not necessarily critique it, but just text them and say, wow, that was great. You know, just to let them know I'm interested. So much of my discretionary free time, drive time, I don't want to say gets eaten up with it. That sounds negative. That's what I enjoy doing. So I don't watch and listen as much as I used to. And again, wow, since I discovered Audible, I'm just so addicted to listening to books now. I've fallen a little bit behind on podcasts and some other things that I used to, you know, give a lot of time to. But those things come in cycles, you know, they work your way around and get tired of one thing and move on to the other. I don't know if you heard Clay Scroggins' interview on Kerry Newhoff's podcast here recently, and Clay talked a lot about, I think Kerry asked him the question, he said, um, you know, is it hard to follow Andy? And, and Clay goes, well, what do, you th- <laughs> what do you think? Of course it's hard to follow Andy. And he told a story about a few years ago when he called you about getting some advice on a message, and you, you had him listen to it first, then gave him a critique of it, and and you ask him, I think his response back was, if I remember the, what he said correctly, he said, um, you know, it's hard to follow you. And your response back was, I want to make it hard to follow you. And man, I've probably yeah. repeated that statement 10 times this week because we're coaching a, a guy that I'm working yeah. with. And, and, and what a great take. And, and also in that podcast, he talked about, Carrie was asking him about, how hard you guys work on phrases and, and how important you're, you're known for your quips and, and a sentence that's your real takeaway. Is that something you spend a lot of time wordsmithing and thinking through, or has that just come really naturally to you? No. Well, um, I've been doing it so long. It, I feel like it comes more natural than it used to, but honestly that started my second year in seminary many many years ago i had to go speak at a chapel for a christian high school or i got to i got invited whatever and um i had this message prepared and i'm thinking you know what these kids are christian kids they know the bible they go to church they have chapel every friday they don't know me i'm a nobody this is just another chapel and i'm going to tell this story and try to be funny and interesting but they're not they're not going to remember any of this and i i just sat there until i came up with a single phrase that basically encapsulated and summarized this entire message. And I still remember it. It's to understand why, submit and apply. Sometimes God asks us to do things we don't understand, to understand why, submit and apply. Well, what happened as a result of that, and it's a a longer story, I just decided that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. If people aren't going to remember, people don't go back to their notes. Half people don't want to be in church half the time anyway. (laughs) So I've worked really, really, really hard through the years. I don't want to oversimplify things. I don't want to make things simplistic. But, you know, a sticky phrase sticks and memorable is portable. And if it's portable, it's probably because it was memorable. And 
I, I think everybody can do this. And I think the people who, there are people who it's easier than others for, it's for easier for some people than others. And one of the things I try to help our guys do, you know, they'll say, Hey, I've got this idea, but look, it's two sentences long. I want to, I want to make it shorter. I want to make it memorable. And so we, you know, we're part of our culture is wordsmithing. And, and again, rhetoric is a big deal, the balance in a sentence. So yeah, I spend an inordinate amount of time on it and it looks easy because I spend so much time on it. I, I tell people all the time, when you see somebody do something that's hard and to make it look easy, it's not because it's easy and it's not because it's easy for them. It's because they worked really, really hard at it. And, you know, we watch um, golf and we think, oh, I'm just going to go out and do that. Or you watch professional tennis and you think, you know, I'm just going to, you know, just going to put so much topspin on that ball. It's just going to, and you know, it, it, it just, it just looks so easy. Well, it's because they practice for hours and hours and hours. And so the goal in communication is to make it look, this is two things, is to make it look effortless and to make it look like you're not even having to think hard. It's to make it look like this stuff is just so much in her, so much in him. It's like having a conversation. It just kind of rolls out. Well, when I'm successful at that, it's <laughs> there's hours and hours of preparation, but it's deceiving because it just looks so natural and it looks so easy. So yeah, we, we spend a lot of time on phrases and words and, you know, it can't be corny. And if you go too far, it gets kind of corny if it rhymes every time. But, um, you know, as a result, this stuff sticks and people remember and, you know, kind of gets lodged in their heart and lodged in their mind. And, you know, ultimately that's the goal. And I, and I think you've laid out in a couple of these different answers today, especially for younger uh, men and women doing, doing what you do and what I do, there is no easy way. I mean, there really isn't a shortcut to be great at something. It just, it, it no. really does take a lot of time. It really does. 10,000 hours. Yeah, that's, that's it, right. It, it really. And, um, and two, this is another topic for another day. You know, this culture that we are in where everybody, their goal is to be famous and to be famous quick. Um, that I think so mitigates against hard work. One of the things that, um, that I've tried to be in the habit of doing the last few years, especially is to get, is to break a habit. And, you know, we mean well, when we say this, when we tell somebody, and I really started this with my kids, it, it's, we tend to tell people, you know, you're so good at that. You're so good at that. Well, Actually, that's not necessarily true, and it's not even a compliment. If I'm born good at something, telling me that – it's like saying, Andy, you have two legs and two feet. That's amazing. Wow, way to go. Well, I have no choice in that. But when somebody recognizes how hard I've worked at something, hmm. that's a compliment that goes a long way, and it's motivating. So I've really tried to change my language, even talking to our communicators and you know anybody, to, to recognize, you know what? I can tell that you really worked hard at that. Well, I'm telling you, when you give people that compliment, you there is a there is a look of recognition in their eyes. It's as if they see that you see something most people don't see, because people who are great at what they do, they've worked hard at it. So, I I really try to even change my terminology a little bit, not just to say, "Oh, you're so talented," "Oh, you're so gifted," "Oh, you're so good at that." Well, that's not even a compliment. That's just recognizing reality. But when you recognize how hard somebody had to work at something, um, that's inspiring. And it's true. You're exactly right. It, there's, there are no 
shortcuts. And the more talented a person is, the more prone they are to take shortcuts mm. and the less prone they are to work hard at their craft. But yet the person that has the most talent has the most potential. Um, quick story. When I was in college, I, had, I was a speech minor. And um, I, I remember my second speech class with a professor named Dr. Rifkin, still remember his name. And I was the fourth person that day out of three days to give a, some kind of persuasive speech or some crazy thing we all had to do. And, um, you know, he gave me a B. And I thought – and I remember thinking, a B? I, mine was the best one in the class by far. And so after class, I, I went up to him. I said, Dr. Rifkin, I, <clears throat> I know this is strange. I said, but you gave me a B? And I know that, and I pointed – I mentioned some other kid in the class. I said – I saw his his speech. He got an A minus, and he looked at me. He said, "But you're better, and you didn't try." That was wow. It. Yeah, I still remember that. I mean, here I am telling that story all these years later. He just looked at me. He said, "You're better than that." No, he said, "You're you're." Yeah, he said, "You're better than that, and you didn't try." It's like you're winging it. You're talented, and you're comparing yourself to all these people. And and what he said without saying it is, the guy that made the A minus probably worked ten times as hard on his as I did. Well, I've never forgotten that. That was like, okay, lesson learned. <laughs> what a your great, what a great lesson, yeah, though. Yeah. Holy smoke! So funny because I work with some high school yeah. athletes around here and around the Cobb County area, and I was telling them yeah. I was spending a lot of time over at the Falcons training camp, and I said, of all the players on the team during training camp, now all the kids are out there, the reserves are there, kids trying to make the team. Who do you think is the very first person on the field? catching balls out of a jug's gun and they name well it's the kid trying to make it it's julio yeah, yeah. the very first guy 45 minutes before anybody else even walked on the field julio's there catching balls with his right catching them with his left catching them to the side because and it's such a great picture you said he's the best yeah. but the yeah. only way to be better is yeah. to work that's so yeah. good and, yeah well we we need to be the best versions of ourselves and there's no win in comparison. There's, there's just not. Nobody gets better by comparing themselves to what other people can or can't do or haven't done. You, it's, it's really looking in the mirror every day. And, and, and this is what God's called us to do. It's, it's to be who he's created us to be. And at the end of the day, I don't give an account for how well I did against someone. At the end of the day, I give an account for how well I did based on the opportunities and the gifts that, uh, you know, God has given me and that God's given you. So that's, you know, that, that's part of the journey as well. You speak to all kinds of generations. I mean, at, at North Point, between all your campuses of North Point Ministries, you've got truly every age under the sun. I've got friends that go there in their 60s and 70s, and I know kids there in their teens and 20s. Is it hard when you're communicating to speak across to those multiple generations? Yes, and I feel like the older I get, the less um, I connect um, you know, specifically with younger millennials and it bugs me and I don't want to pretend and I don't want to try to get hip and I don't want to start throwing around names and song lyrics that I, you know, I really don't know the name, who it is. And I really don't know the <laughs> lyrics. I don't, I don't want to go there. I really don't. There's something that's, you know, it's tempting at times. Um, but yeah. And I think for me, I just have to be who I am and do what I do, but I am responsible for bringing up leaders behind me, that can fill in those gaps in terms of relatability and in terms of communication style. And you've mentioned Clay today. He's definitely one of them. Yeah. So, 
yeah, I do feel that. I, I really do. And I don't like it. Um, and when I'm with our high school students, I, 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 it doesn't feel the same, but it, I mean, of course it doesn't. I'm not only old enough to be their parent, you know, I, I'm almost old enough to be some of their grandparents. So, I, you know, I know they look at me like I'm, oh, there's, you know, there's our pastor. So I try not to let that bother me. It challenges me to be better, but it's, you know, there's, there's something about age and stage of life. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to pretend. So I, that does bug me. So you, you get to the point of the journey that you start looking in the rearview mirror and, and you look back on all that God's accomplished. You look back and your, your kids are growing up like mine are. What do you want the people who know you best to say about you? The people that your your close staff members, the people in your small group that have been with you for years, your family, what do you want them to say about you, Andy? That I adored my wife. That's it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> that really is it. I somebody asked. I mean, I've been asked this question before. And I thought I should come up with a real answer and I this years ago I thought what really if I what you know the question I was asked is where I want on my tombstone you know or my jar if I'm ashes and I thought that's it I mean I know it should be he lived his life to the glory of God and the church and uh, you know I I hope so but um that really is it for me that is a centering um sobering um it's just a powerful, a powerful thing to me. And I think if that wasn't the case or she didn't think that was the case, I don't think, I don't, I really don't think all this other success would mean anything. I really don't. And you and I have seen men in particular who, you know, have been successful in all sorts of arenas who their kids, you know, are only around waiting for them to pass away and make sure there's something in the will. And, you know, their wife doesn't really enjoy it when they come home or she's not even home anymore. And there's just something hollow and empty. And, and again, all of us don't have control over all the factors. I mean, I, I know there's just stuff that happens in life. But at the end of the day, um, there's just nothing more important to me. And so that's it. That's solid, buddy. Well, the great thing about that is if you get that right, most likely everything else lined up well. So, and I would yeah. say based on what I know of you and your family, you've done, you've done quite well. And Andy, man, just thank you so much for taking the time. You've been a, you've been a great friend through all these years and uh, man, thanks for not only the friend you've been, but the leader you've been for all of us to, to be able to walk in your footsteps and to learn from and, and follow the example you set. So I really appreciate it a ton. Well, I appreciate this opportunity and I'm, thrilled that you're doing this it's certainly needed you've already had some amazing guests so i'm honored to be a, a part of that group that's already been a part of this and can't wait to see what happens in the future well andy thanks a million buddy and good luck with the new testing of the new way of doing things on yeah. the teaching style i know it'll, we'll all and here's the great thing once you nail it everybody else will be doing it in about two months so it works out really well we'll all be watching and we'll, go, i like that idea that's really good yeah we will see. Yes. Well, Andy, thanks again, buddy. Have a great day. Hey, thanks. Wow. That is about all I have after that time with Andy. My goodness. I remember growing up hearing the phrase, drinking from a fire hydrant. Sitting down for that time with Andy is like drinking from a fire hydrant. 
You know, every time I even listen to one of his podcasts, which are amazing, you can find the link for his podcast in our show notes. But every time I sit down with Andy or I listen to Andy, I always get something. You know, I think in every generation, God gives us leaders like Andy who do two things. One, they live out their purpose, which is to make a massive difference in their generation and the time that God's put them there. But the second thing that people like that do is they blaze trails for people like you and me. People that are coming behind, people that are growing, people that are wanting to know, people that are wanting to understand more and even do different things. Because you look at what Andy has accomplished in leadership, just in the in the church and what God has done through North Point and North Point Ministries. But his reach is so much further because I think even business leaders recognize he has just been given a wisdom in not only leadership, but in how to lead. And I know this from the friends I've had that have worked at North Point and the friends I have that are working at North Point. He is the real deal. Andy and I met, man, about 13 or 14 years ago at a at a Dizzy Dean baseball game where we were both coaching our son's teams. And I'm so thankful that God crossed our paths there on a baseball field in Canton, Georgia, because Andy truly through these years has been an incredible friend to me and an incredible role model for me to look to in not only great leadership, but in also raising a great family. Andy, thank you so much for not only what you do, but thank you for who you are and thank you for the difference you're making in the lives of leaders. One of my favorite parts of my talk with Andy, and I don't, can't even remember uh, where it came in the episode or if it was when we were hanging up the phone, but he was going to work on something new he's working on for Sunday mornings. And who does that at the stage Andy is in? He's he's made it. He's the guy. But he's still, it's like Coach Dooley, he's still learning, he's still growing, and he's still pushing. And I think one of the things for all of us to remember, even as you look back at the great characters of Scripture, while we are here on this earth, we are never done. So let's keep going. Let's keep growing. And let's keep being the people that God created us to be. Thanks, Andy. Great time together. Also, if you are enjoying the Lynch with a Leader podcast, go on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you are listening and leave a review. That will really help us get the word out because I want as many people as possible to be the leaders that God created them to be. Thanks again for joining us today. And until next time, go be the leader God created you to be. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.